If you have your Bibles, if you would please turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to share just a few thoughts this evening, and I'm very appreciative of each of you taking the time and effort to be here on a Sunday night. And thank you for working diligently throughout the week to share the gospel with others, to give out tracts, to give, to love, to pray, and to go for the Lord. It's certainly wonderful to be a part of a busy church. Really, the theme of 2 Thessalonians is a going church for a coming Lord. <laughs> he said, look, because he's coming to back, it should motivate us to do some special things. And, of course, the, the Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica. There just, we know, three Sabbath days before a lot of challenges took place. He could have stayed a little longer as I looked at that, uh, at that part of Acts chapter 17 in preparation this week. I say that he's only there maybe no more than a month. He may have been there a little bit longer, but certainly a lot of challenges took place. Uh, after he was there just three Sabbath days teaching, and God saved many Greeks, and he made, saved some chief women and a few Jewish people. But when he had to leave abruptly and went on to Berea, about 50 miles away, and then from there he was chased on to Athens, he wrote back these two letters. The first letter was just reminding them that the Lord is coming again. You can anticipate his coming. Really, no more signs are needed for the coming of Christ. Except for perilous days, and men should be covered with their own lovers of their own selves, more than lovers of God. Those, those, uh, those are signs we need, and they're, they're rare, very rare today. Not, they're not uh, rare today to find that. There's going to be a falling away. There's going to be an apostasy. God's people who have been saved are going to go away from the faith. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter days... Some will depart from the faith. It's just, it, he, he says, the Spirit's telling you that. That's an obvious thing. And that is something that's going to happen before the Lord Jesus comes again. The first time he comes, he will come for his saints. And they'll meet him in the air. And so shall every the Lord. The next time he comes, approximately seven years later, he's going to come with his saints. And he will also draw those people that have been saved during the tribulation period to that moment. He will destroy uh, the battle of Armageddon. We believe that's when we're going to enter into a millennial reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And you can read about that as we compare what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and the book of the Revelation and Daniel's 70th week. All that's been said, and we've kind of walked through that, Five times in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he reminds the people that Jesus is coming again. And we're supposed to wait for, his, for, for, for Jesus from heaven and anticipate his coming. There are four byproducts when we anticipate the coming of Christ. Number one, first of all, we will have patience to keep on going. When you know that the end is near, the Lord is coming back, you can endure difficulties with hope that he's going to come again. Patience of hope is the word that or the phrase that the Lord uses in 1 Thessalonians. The second thing we know is that when we know that he's coming again and we're going to be like him, we'll see him as he is, we'll purify ourselves even as he is also pure, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. So a pure life follows an understanding that the coming of the Lord is imminent. Number four. I think the blessed hope is exactly, we don't use the word rapture in our Bible, but it means to be caught up, to be with the Lord. But the, the, the term that God uses in Titus chapter 2 is that blessed hope, that wonderful anticipation when the Lord's going to come back. And when he comes back, it motivates us to do several things, but to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. When you know the Lord is coming back and you're anticipating his coming, 
there are byproducts. One, patience of hope. Two, purified life. Three, a purposeful living in a wicked world. And then lastly, we'll be zealous of good works. And I believe that's something that Satan wants to tell us that, and the world wants you to think about the coming of Christ. But I think Christians ought to think about it, and they ought to anticipate it for sure. The Second Thessalonians, uh, the Apostle Paul, in between First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, the church receives a letter that is forged as though it was from him. And uh, they got a letter that said the resurrection was already come. I think probably Philetus and Hymenaeus may have been involved with that. If you look in the book of Timothy, you see these two guys had taught that the resurrection already come, that salvation has already, or excuse me, the rapture has already come, and they think they're living in the tribulation period of time and uh, because of the forged letter. So he writes 2 Thessalonians to correct that and to remind them that uh, you have a promise from the Lord. He's going to recompense those that are wrong. He will reward those that are right. There is a rest for God's people, and he tells them about that in chapter 1. Now we're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 is really, I see six particular thoughts. I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, we see a plea for them to intercede, intercession. Pray that the Word of God would have free course and that people who hear the gospel, that God would deliver soul winners and faithful servants from wicked uh, and uh, wicked men who want to complicate the gospel. He said, I want you to unreasonable and wicked men who want to complicate, pray. Uh, when you look at missionary letters and missionary pictures, you ought to say, Lord, give that missionary, uh, when he preaches, when they take the gospel of their community, give them the word of God to have free course. Help them to have opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. The most powerful thing on the planet is the gospel of Christ. But we're, he asks, he says, look, I want you to pray the word of God will have free course. Number two, I want you to pray that God would deliver us from unreasonable and wicked men who have not the faith. They're not saved. They don't understand what they're doing. But pray that God would deliver us from that. I'm sure every missionary would appreciate that prayer. Second thing, he says intercession, but he talks a little bit about... Uh, he talks about preservation. He says, I'm gonna, God's going to take care of you. And he, he talks about the preserving power of God. The safest place for you and I to be is right smack in the will of God for our life. That's right. You don't, the only thing about the will of God you and I ought to be nervous about is missing out on it, not doing it. It's to say, he talks about the preservation of the Lord in verse number three. Verse number four, he talks about anticipation. He anticipates their obedience to the Lord and he anticipates the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pick up, we can please, at verse number, uh, verse number 6. But now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives a command, and he uses the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, something that, uh, that it carries the weight of Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions that ye have received of us. For ye yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, and we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. So this is another topic that we see here in this passage of Scripture. Intercession, preservation, and then we also see anticipation of the coming of Christ. But while that's the case, he speaks about separation. In the Bible, you cannot be a Bible-believing person without realizing that your heavenly Father cares about what influences you. And he tells us over and over again to separate. 
In Proverbs 13, verse number 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be, but a companion of fools shall be, yeah. We find to come out from among them and be separate. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He find, we find in the, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 when he talks about working hard and whether for a saved boss or an unsaved boss, he says, look, when you find someone who asks doting questions, who does not agree with hard work in the business place, he says, withdraw yourself from that person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, uh, Apostle Paul is telling a church that has bought into bad doctrine about the resurrection. He said, look, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Who you hang around. My dad would say it, John, you can't lay with dogs and not get fleas. you got to be careful who you hang around. Every parent worth their weight in salt is concerned about who their children's friends are. Because you can hang around wrong elements and not be affected. This vice versa is true. You hang around the right kind of people, you're going to find there's going to be blessings that will come to you. Boy, I'm so grateful for Christian friends through my life. And by the way, we say, well, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about that, Pastor. My teenager needs it. I'm talking to you, Spanky. <laughs> okay, you need it too. Well, my grandkids need that. Senior citizen, you need that. All of us need to be careful who we spend time with, who, who influences us, what we put on our, on, our, our, on our social medias, where we go on that. You can't go through scrolling, scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of, of posts and things and not have some contamination. And minutes we spend hours and hours doing this over and over again at our own peril because we let too much stuff get inside of us and it affects us adversely. He says, but I want you to withdraw yourself from anyone who, Paul's telling him, look, if you got someone around you that disagrees and does not affirm the things which we've taught you from the scriptures while we were with you, when we led you to Christ and taught you those weeks we were with you, and what I said to you in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, if you find someone who's disagreeing with that, withdraw yourself from them. He didn't tell them to debate with them. He said, just, just get away from them. It's much better to avoid temptation than it is to resist it. I think he's telling me, look, you be careful. And by the way, none of us are so spiritual that we can handle a bad influence. I had a dear friend of mine. I love him to this day. He was just a great guy. He went to a place, a hard place, and scratched out a place for God that was averaging over 400 people in a matter of eight years. He was a very special servant of Christ. I loved him, loved his wife, loved his kids, admired him. He was a great friend. But I began to see changes in him. But one day, uh, I got news that he had had an impropriety in, a, in an immoral affair, and it bothered me so bad. I was brokenhearted, as I, as I should have been and as anybody should be. No one, there's very few things, friends, that robs you from finishing your course with joy like immorality does. You ought to sustain your purity. If you're talking to someone you shouldn't talk to, if you're texting someone you shouldn't text, if you've got a separate email aside to, to communicate with someone that your spouse doesn't know about or your mom and dad doesn't know about or what have you, you ought to quit it. Yeah. You ought to confess it and say, I'm wrong, I'm sinful, I'm wicked. If you've got a place that you go and you see things you shouldn't see and you communicate in ways you shouldn't, you should, you should quickly. I'm just telling you, it's a rattlesnake that will bite you. And you'll get, a, you'll get a blot that will not be wiped away. 
But my friend told my other pastor friend, he said, they were, our families were together. And he said, you know, I told him, he said, you know, he said, hey, have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? This is, this is my friend that, that fell morally and really sabotaged a great work with the Lord. And my friend said, no, I haven't seen them. Those, are, those aren't really, I think they're our movies. I think they're, they're not really good movies. He said, you've seen all of those? He goes, yeah, I've seen all of those. He said, I've come to the place in my spiritual life that I, I'm mature enough to handle those things. They don't even bother me anymore. I'm just telling you, that's not true. You're never so mature that you can't handle sin, temptation. You can handle it. You can't handle it. It'll start handling you. And I think it's something very important here. He said, here's what you need to do. He says, this passage speaks of separation. Separating from those who are counting. It's not only there, would you look down to verse number 15, if you would please, 14 and 15. He reiterates, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, they don't listen to what I'm telling you in 2 Thessalonians. Note that man, make a note of him, and have no company with him, that he may be what? Shame. And then I want you to notice the balance that God gives. Look at verse 15. You ready? Read it with me. Yet count him not. All right. When somebody is uh, negative and they don't, they don't want to obey what, what, what God's revealed word is, he said, look, make a note of him and, and, and don't spend time with him. That he can be ashamed. That she can be ashamed. But don't count them as an enemy. Love them as a brother, as a sister. In the Lord. Boy, the beautiful balance there. But there is, there is a call here of intercession, of preservation. There's a call of anticipation. There's a call uh, that God is telling us here of separation. Separation is a beautiful Bible concept. Amen. Have you ever read this passage of Scripture in Second Peter where it says that add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge? And he'll go on to say all these wonderful things. But you know the second one between faith of getting saved and growing in knowledge of our Lord is virtue. What's the Bible tells in Proverbs chapter 18, where it says, through desire, a man having done what? He separates himself. Now, I can tell you, look, folks, don't do this. Don't do that. Hey, quit watching that. Turn that off. Quit doing that. But the truth of the matter is, none of that will fix you. You'll have to separate yourself from it. I can't live your life, and you can't live my life. That's going to have to come to a day when you say, well, my dad thinks this, my mom thinks this, my youth pastor says this, my son says this, but, you know, they can tell you all kinds of things you ought to separate from, but you know when it's going to get serious? When you separate yourself. Separation is a beautiful, I think it's nice when you think about the, the days of creation, when God made the world. He says, in the beginning, uh, God, God made the heavens and the earth, but initially was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then two things happened. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, that blob of dark water, and the Lord God said, let there be light. Spirit of God moved, the Word of God spoke, and light happened. Day number one, that's a day of salvation. Day number two, he said, now let's take the water here and let's separate the waters from the water. Separate. Divide the waters from the water. You'll separate and create space between where God lives in the heavens and where you live on the earth. And that's all he did on day number two. He separated and he called it firmament. Day number three, things started to grow. 
He put dry land, and then he started all the, the vegetation that we enjoy. But between God turned the light on, salvation, and spiritual growth, day three, you're going to find there needed to be a separation. There needed to be distance established. You'll never, you'll never grow to the Christian you want to be, and I'll never grow to the Christian until I'm willing to separate myself from things and people and associations that are counterproductive to my spiritual health. And those are not easy decisions, and I think that's why Paul tells them. Hey, look, if you find someone, you don't, you don't treat them like an enemy, but you don't. You, you, you've got to withdraw yourself. If not, you're going to get contaminated. God puts us in the world. He says, I want you to be in the world, but I'm the world in you. James says, don't be spotted by the world. Don't, don't let the world spot you. Challenging us to live holy and right. Another thought we see in this passage of Scripture is occupation or work. You know, I think it's so important that we learn to be hardworking people in our workplace, in our homes, and in the work of the Lord. The Bible tells us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord's hard work. But everything ought to work. And here these people are thinking the Lord's already come, and some of them just got into a lazy state. Maybe they thought, you know what? Well, we got, we got seven more years, and we'll be done with this. God's going to come back. I don't know. They were Grecian. They were oftentimes influenced by the Grecian uh, poets and people, and they felt like anyone who was manually working uh, is, you know, is not very smart. But if you're really smart, you sit around in circles and talk about ideas with the Aristotles and the Platos and, and uh, the, 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 the philosophers of the day. But they were not working. You know, some people don't know. They, some people think manual labor is the, a former Mexican president or something, you know. But the truth of the matter is, everybody ought to work. And that was one of the problems here. He said, like, when we were with you, we worked. Let's look at the verse of Scripture. Can you look at verse, and by the way, young people, wake up and think about this. This is good help for us all. Because all of us got a lazy bone about us. We got laziness about us. Verse 7, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. He said, we had an example for you. We behaved ourselves not disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. We wrought with what? Labor and travail. We worked hard day, night and day that we might not be chargeable to you. We, we wouldn't go take an offering from you because we knew how you would think. Not because we have not power, not because it's not our right to ask you to help us. We're bringing you spiritual things. Galatians 6 tells us that. But to make ourselves an example unto you that you would follow us. Verse number 10, read it with me, everyone. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any, neither. That's a great verse of Scripture. He said, look, when we were with you, remember what I told you? If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant thou slugger, consider her ways and be wise, and he begins to tell that. As if you, if you don't work hard, You'll end up to two resorts, traveling, having to stay on the move, or resorting to illegal means, or like an armed man, stealing from somebody. And I'm not, I want to be careful here, because I think sometimes you give people because you can, not because they deserve it. But most people that walk around and stand on corners, help me, here's, here's, what, I, here's what I submit to you. Most of them, if they're standing in Hammond, they're not from Hammond. If they're standing in Chicago, they're not from Chicago. 
Most of them are someplace that they've already burned their bridges with their local people, and they won't be there in three days. They'll have to travel to another place to find more benevolent people to help them. And you'll beg and harvest, and you'll have nothing. Diligence is a very important thing. One of the greatest motivations that we have for labor is hunger. If that guy gets hungry enough, he'll put his sign down and go do something. And, and he said, if man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Young people, you've been giving great things. Could just listen to Brother Osmond tonight. Could you imagine people having to go and just looking for rice, a bag of rice, looking for some beans, some oil to cook with? They would be so happy when he came to their house. Thank you, Brother Osmond. Thank you. What did we do in COVID? We probably threw away more food in our homes than he handed out. And we, we, we kind of we used to, we think the world owes it to us. Boy, I think all of us ought to, ought to work. And moms and dads, we need to learn how to, to encourage and incentivize young people to be, be industry, and industrious and working. Because if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Look at the next verse, if you would, please, and you can see the byproduct of failing to work. Verse 11, for we hear that there are some among you that walk among you disorderly. And then how are they walking disorderly? They working not at, but are, boy, they run around with their mouth, stirring it up. It's just one negative thing. People that oftentimes stand around holding the tiles down, the carpet down at work, just run, flapping their soup coolers, saying, I don't get paid enough here. I wish I'd give me a dollar an hour. I think I'd do something. Okay, that guy, stay away from him. Withdraw yourself from him. Grab a broom somewhere and start find the need and see and take the lead. Be initi use initiative. He said, people that don't work normally are flapping their soup coolers. They're talking, 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 talking. They become busybodies and they normally say things they shouldn't say. And I, I can testify I've done that myself. Here we go. Let's look at verse number 12. Now them that are such, we command you and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ with quietness. They work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. We've talked about withdrawing from others. And I want you to look at the last one. Salutations, we'll complete with this. Look at verse 16. Now the God, the Lord of peace, himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Now verse 17, read it with me. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand. And notice, why did he say that? Why did he say, you know, every time I write you, I always sign my own name with my own hand. Because they had received a letter from an imposter. They had received a forged letter. He said, just remember, when I write you, I write to you with my own hand. I sign my name. And on every epistle I write, you can know it's from me. And then, of course, he concludes it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As he closes out 2 Thessalonians, he challenges us to pray for others that the gospel would go out and God would deliver people from unreasonable and wicked men. He challenges us to be comfortable in the preservation of God, to anticipate his coming and know that we can be counted on to live in obedience. He challenges us to separate from those who are counterproductive and those things and people who are counterproductive to our spiritual walk. And then he tells us to occupy, to work, to be diligent, hard workers. Remember Gary Player was a golfer one day and a great, a great pro golfer. But he was one day hitting golf balls. He was hitting hundreds of them before a tournament over and over again, smacking them. And boy, as he was hitting them, they were just flying. 
through the air high and long. And the caddy would kept getting them and putting them up there. And he kept getting them and putting them up there. And the caddy, and he would just swing with muscle memory, remembering everything he was doing. And the ball was just flying. And one of the fellows in the gallery over here behind him said to his friend, that guy is so lucky. Look at him hit that golf ball. He just hits that ball and it goes so He Gary Player is so lucky. And Gary Player heard him. And he said to his caddy, the harder I work, ding, the luckier I get. The harder I work, ding, the luckier I get. Well, you'll be, you'll be amazed. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before the average man. Be hardworking. Be diligent. And thank God for the admonitions we wait for. May God help us to have a church that is a going church for the coming Lord.